Welcome back to the Divine Lantern. Thanks for joining us as we look to begin a new series, this one on the early church. With the blessing of His Eminence, Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. I'm Jonathan, and this week, Father Nicholas will be speaking about the early church through the scope of the first 12 apostles. We'll answer a question from you on the holy oil and how its healing works within the church. We'll also learn about monasteries in our patriarchate. So sit back and enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was the calling by our Lord to Peter and his brother Andrew, while they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee, as reported in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. Their response to the call was swift, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Several verses later, our Lord calls the brothers James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and their response to the call is swift as well. They immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. St. John Chrysostom states, But note, their faith and their obedience. For though they were in the midst of their work, and you know how time-consuming a chore fishing is, when they heard his command, they did not delay or procrastinate. They did not say, Let us return home and talk things over with our family. Instead, they left everything behind and followed even as Elisha did when he followed Elijah. For Christ seeks this kind of obedience from us, that we do not delay even for a moment, though something absolutely necessary should vehemently press in on us. St. Gregory the Great presents us with another perspective, another challenge. The kingdom of heaven has no price tag on it. It is worth as much as you have. For Zacchaeus, it was worth half of what he owned, because the other half that he had unjustly pocketed, he promised to restore fourfold. For Peter and Andrew, it was worth the nets and vessel they had left behind. For another, it was worth a cup of cold water. So as we said, the kingdom of heaven is worth as much as you have. The men whom Jesus called to follow him were not men of great scholarship or influence or wealth or social background. They were mainly simple working people with no great background and most probably no great future. Our Lord selected 12 disciples to follow him and to become his closest companions. They were from different backgrounds, for example, fishermen, a zealot, a tax collector. They sat at the feet of our Lord and were taught by him as they journeyed with Jesus around Galilee, experienced his teaching and preaching, and then finally to journey to Jerusalem with our Lord to his passion, death and resurrection. It was the resurrection experience which brought the Jerusalem church into being, 
also brought into being a foundational group of community leaders. This community leadership group, according to tradition, were the twelve, the twelve disciples, to whom we give the title Apostle. St Paul will join his leadership group as the Apostle to the Gentiles after his Damascus Road experience of the risen Lord. The designation Apostle is a Greek term imbued with new meaning. They have been called by Christ to be a delegate, to be sent out into the world, specifically as an ambassador of the gospel. As our Lord said to Peter, James, John, when he first called them in the Galilee, from henceforth you are to become fishers of men. Fishermen catch fish that they may die, they may kill them. However, our Lord called the apostles to be fishers of men, that they may live. They caught men for life, that they may begin a new life and live unto God in holiness. Before his ascension, our Lord charged the apostles with the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The apostles, states St. John Chrysostom, first taught by their conduct, and then by their word. Nay, they had no need of words when their deeds spoke so loud. They received a high calling from Jesus at the Great Commission, a high encomium. This is for the apostles, that is, to have a charge entrusted on them, I mean the salvation of the world. The apostles went out into the world. They proclaimed the gospel throughout the entire Roman Empire and beyond, spreading the good news of the crucified and risen Lord. All the apostles, excepting St. John the Theologian, were martyred. These fishermen, who were called by our Lord, possessed qualities which would also make them into good fishers of men. And they are qualities that each of us need to engender in our own lives. Firstly, a fisherman must have patience. He must develop patience as he waits for the fish to take the bait. He cannot be impulsive, restless, or move quickly and scare the fish. To be a good fisher of men, we will need patience. We need to be patient and wait as others grow in the faith through the preaching and teaching. Secondly, a fisherman must have perseverance. He must learn never to be discouraged, to persist and try again. This is also the case for us, never to give up, but persist and try again. Thirdly, the fisherman must have courage. He must be prepared to face the risk of the sea, with its ever-changeable character from the calm to the fury of the high seas and the gale. So it is for us, 
For there is always danger in telling people the truth. By telling the truth, we, more often than not, take our life and reputation in our hands. Fourthly, the fisherman must have the eye for the right moment. He knows when it is hopeless to fish. And he also can read the signs when it is the right moment to cast out the net. So it is for us. We must choose the moment. There are times when men will welcome the truth and times when they will resent the truth. There are times when the truth will move them and times when the truth will harden them in their opposition to the truth. The wise preacher and teacher knows that there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. Fifthly, the fisherman must fit the bait to the fish. He knows that certain fish are attracted by certain baits and repelled by other baits. If he wants to make a good catch, he needs to understand the fish he is to catch. So it is for us. We need to understand that the same approach will not win all people. We need to be aware that we may need to adapt and grow in our skill base, but also know and acknowledge our limitations. We may have to discover that there are certain spheres in which we can work, and others in which we cannot. Sixthly, the fisherman keeps himself out of sight of the fish. The fisherman is cautious, for he knows that even his shadow can mean that the fish will not bite. The wise preacher and teacher will always seek to present to people not himself, but with Jesus Christ. His aim is to fix men's eyes not on himself, on that figure beyond, that is, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Orthodox Church holds the apostles in high regard. For each apostle, there is a specific feast day on which they are commemorated. As well, one of the four major fasting seasons is in their honour, the Apostles' Fast, culminating in the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, and in the following day, by the synaxis of the Holy Apostles. Also, Thursday of each week is dedicated to the Apostles along with St. Nicholas of Myra, and they are remembered at each service by the chanting of the Traparian and Contagion of the Apostles. For each of us, they are exemplary models of the Christian life to which we have been called by God. O holy Apostles, intercede with your merciful God that he may grant to our souls the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thank you, Father Nicholas. Make sure you tune in for more on the Early Church in the coming weeks. And in the meantime, check out some of our other series we've had over the past year, including the one we just completed last week on the Seven Councils. And now let's take our weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philocalic Nourishment. If Peter had not failed to catch anything during the night's fishing, he would not have caught anything during the day. And if Paul had not suffered physical blindness, 
he would not have been given spiritual sight. And if Stephen had not been slandered as a blasphemer, he would not have seen the heavens opened and have looked on God. St. Mark the Ascetic Just as our body, when it has no soul, is dead and foul, so too the soul, if it does not stir itself to prayer, is dead and wretched and foul. Saints Callistos and Ignatios It is written, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my Father. The will of the Father is indicated in the words, You who love the Lord hate evil. Hence, we should both pray the prayer of Jesus Christ and hate our evil thoughts. In this way, we do God's will. St. Hesychios, the priest. On November 5, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Holy Martyrs Galaction and Episteme of Homs. The sword slayeth the uncoupled yoke pair, who loved rather the spiritual yoking. On the 5th, Episteme and Galaction were slain as one. Galaction's mother was barren until she was baptised. After her baptism, she converted her husband to the true faith. Their son, Galaction, was baptised and raised in the Christian faith. When Galaction was old enough to marry, his father betrothed him to a pagan-born maiden named Episteme. By no means did Galaction want to enter into marriage and convinced Episteme to be baptised, then to be tonsured a nun at the same time that he became a monk. Galaction withdrew to a monastery and Episteme to a convent. They were first in labour, prayer, humility, obedience and love. They neither left their monasteries nor did they see one another until just before their deaths. A fierce persecution began and both of them were brought before the tribunal. The pagans mercilessly tortured the pair and beheaded them. Their friend Eutulius took their body and honourably buried them. Eutulius had been a slave of Episteme's parents and then a monk with Galaction. He wrote the life of these martyrs of Christ to receive their heavenly wreaths in 253. On this day we also commemorate the apostles Hermes, Linos, Gaius, Patrobas, and Philogos of the Seventy. By the intercessions of thy saints, O Christ God, have mercy upon us. Amen. What is the Holy Unction service and when is it prayed?
Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Christ came to the world to bear the infirmities of men. One of his divine signs of the Messiahship was to heal the sick, and the power of healing remains in the church since Christ himself remains in the church through the Holy Spirit. Holy unction or the anointing of the sick is a sacrament of faith for the healing of the sick. It provides both physical and spiritual healing with holy oil that is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Traditionally, the service itself is celebrated by seven priests as there are seven readings from the epistles and gospels, seven prayers and seven anointings with oil, specifically blessed for the service. Since it's not always possible to have seven priests present, the service is often performed by fewer priests. The mystery of the Holy Unction is most commonly celebrated during Holy Week on Holy Wednesday evening, but can also be celebrated at other times. During the service, the priest blesses the oil with a little wine mixed in with it, the same way the Good Samaritan from the Gospel poured wine and oil on the injuries of the wounded stranger. Then the priest lays the open Gospel book over the heads of the sick as a sign of Christ touching them with his healing hand through his body, the Church. The Holy Unction is a holy mystery of the Church and a great comfort to the faithful. Since it is not always the will of God that there should be physical healing, the prayer of Christ that God's will be done always remains at the proper context of the sacrament. Also, it is the clear intention of the sacrament that through the anointing of the sick body, the sufferings of the person should be sanctified and united to the sufferings of Christ. At the end of the service, the priest places holy oil on the forehead, eyes, ears, nose, lips, chest and hands of the faithful in the form of a cross, saying, the blessing of our Lord God and Saviour Jesus Christ, for the healing of the soul and body of the servant of God, always, now and forever, unto the ages of ages. Amen. As both physical and spiritual beings, let us never forget our reliance on our Lord for our physical and spiritual welfare. Let us accept the oil of the holy unction with faith, praying that God's will be done, and that we are able to be not only renewed in body, but most importantly, be cleansed in spirit. The following segment, Monasteries of Our Patriarchate, will take you on a journey through the profound Orthodox monasteries specific to the Antioch and all the East. We hope you gain greater insight and appreciation into the geography, history, contributions, miraculous recounts, and spiritual guidance these revered sites and their inhabitants provide. St. Michael's Monastery, Goulburn. The monasteries of our Patriarchate are typically known for their stead in their Antiochian homelands of Syria, Lebanon and surrounding Middle Eastern countries. St. Michael's Monastery is a monastery of our very own Archdiocese and is located in Goulburn, New South Wales. Many parishioners of our Archdiocese are familiar with this monastery, otherwise known as the Antiochian Village. The monastery is only one hour from the country's capital, Canberra. 
St Michael's Monastery in Goulburn is located on Kenmore Street in Goulburn and is a complex consisting of a monastery ground, St Anna's Chapel, a few cottages, sports courts and park fields. It also has a courtyard and a few paddocks with a chicken enclosure as well. In the past, the Antiochian village served as an officiate which was a precinct designated to prepare young women for the monastic life. Its subsequent uses include a conference centre, a retreat area, a convent and an administration centre. Originally, the grounds belonged to the Anglican Church but were obtained by the Antiochian Orthodox Church in 2016 and since then it hosted various retreats for parishioners, youth groups and Antiochian Orthodox families throughout the Archdiocese. The monastery is currently home to one nun, Riasforda, Virginia. Individuals who attend retreats occupy some of the two-storey buildings with furnished beds and ready amenities such as kitchens, bathroom facilities, laundry rooms and dining. Retreats typically involve sessions of prayer, fun activities and educational gatherings aimed to strengthen the faith and spiritual knowledge of attendees. Sports games, physical work, bonfire nights and silent prayer are some of the activities that parishioners participate in. Currently, St Michael's Monastery is the only monastery in the Antiochian Archdiocese of Australia, New Zealand and the Philippines. Despite this, monasticism of the Archdiocese does have some history spanning to the end of the 20th century. In 1995, the convent of St Anna in Preston, Victoria was founded under His Eminence Paul Saliba, in which Mother Virginia was the superior. In 2002, she became the editor of a publication named Orthodox Contact, which was headed by the parish of St Nicholas in Melbourne. The monastery also had its first liturgy on May that year. Mother Virginia became the Registrar of the Melbourne Institute of Orthodox Christian Studies in 2004 and continued to assist in the publication process for some time. It was not until around 15 years when she relocated to the newly acquired Goulburn Monastery after which the Victorian Monastery was closed. Typical monastic features in St Michael's Monastery include a Samantron which has a slightly abbreviated version of the Jesus Prayer inscribed on it, Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me a sinner. Its grounds are fertile with vegetation and pilgrims who flock to the parish while on retreat sometimes tend to the monastery gardens. St Anna's Chapel is a small church within the Antiochian village. Its iconostasis features a full-length depiction of Christ and the Theotokos, while icons of the Forerunner and St Anna are located beside the iconostasis. Frescoes of saints adorn the church's walls and include depictions of Saints Anna and Joachim, St Spiridon and various martyrs. The rear section of the chapel contains a candle box beside a large icon of St Anna. Many of the icons accompanied Mother Virginia to the St Michael's Goulburn Monastery from Melbourne. Overall, the architectural design of the monastery and chapel grounds are Western in appearance, owing to the fact that it was initially in the possession of a Western church before its acquisition by the Antiochian Orthodox Church.
This can be seen in the presence of a statue depicting a trumpet-bearing angel below the roof of the church and column motifs within the church itself. However, Orthodox features such as icons, small mosaics and three-pointed crosses now adorn the monastery's interior and exterior. Thank you again for tuning in to another installment of The Divine Lantern, and in particular, this series. For the latest news and updates about our Archdiocese, please visit our website at www.antiochian.org.au. And if you'd like your question answered throughout the podcast, please shoot it through as a voice memo to tdl at antiochian.org.au. Have a blessed day, and we hope to catch you next week.